0: You, me, and HIFMB, stories of science and the sea. Hey, hey, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of the HIFMB podcast. And today I talk to Meren, or Murat Eren, from Turkey, the head and leader of our new ecosystem data science group. So he's the second group leader that you hear Merrin is a computer scientist and microbial ecologist, and that's exactly where he sees his uh, group established, so at the intersection between computer science and microbiology. among so many topics, we talk about mentoring in depth. He has started a blog entry, which is called Mentorship in Life Sciences, Voices of Mentees, where he actually has done an anonymous survey that uh, mentees, so early career scientists, have filled out Uh, about their mentoring and the mentoring that they've received. And through that, he gains so many insights that we discuss. So this is really valuable both to mentees looking into uh, getting mentorship in the future, so getting a supervisor in the future, and to mentors who want to improve their supervision and mentoring. And like with any guest, I talk to him about his academic life and uh, through the many turns that he has taken, how he got to the position where he is today. So without further ado, I give you Maren. Welcome everybody to the next episode of the B podcast, and today I have Maren from our ecosystem data science group, the leader of it, so the second pillar uh, in this podcast that you're gonna hear talk, the second PI after Kim Peters. Um, yeah, hi,
1: hello, hi. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me.
0: Yeah, no, no, no worries. It's uh, it's been a long time coming. <laughs> so the the ecosystem data science group. Um, yes. What's the status? Like when when did you start it? And yeah.
1: I think I officially started um, February 15th of 2022. Yes, we're in 2023. Right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's been a year, actually. Oh, wow. Uh, the, the official start. And uh, the, the status is we're still uh, building. We're trying to find, uh, find out about ourselves we um, hiring took much longer than expected mm-hmm. um, so the group is just coming together actually yeah um,
0: did you did you take students from uh, your, your previous job or
1: not quite we okay. uh, we decided as a group that those PhD students I've been working with so far at the University of Chicago would finish there mm-hmm. and um, they would move on to their lives yeah. um, and um, some were interested in exploring uh, how would it look like, uh, to work here in Germany yeah. with me. So uh, uh, Florian Turgode and Eva Vesely, who is now a PhD student in Chicago, but mm-hmm. uh, they will join me here. But generally, uh, we started everything from scratch pretty much.
0: Okay. And, and how big is the group now?
1: Currently, we are um, five people. Okay. Um, well, there are many more uh, people at the University of Chicago that I still advise and work with. Mm-hmm. But here, uh, we are soon going to be five people officially.
0: Right, okay. Yeah and uh yeah that's the vision going forward is is that group size because um yeah
1: that's my wish uh i uh, at some point my group was uh uh, a a little too big at the university of chicago that made me realize that my ability to help people Mm -hmm. uh uh, progress in their projects or mentor them diminishes as the number of people uh, increase in the group obviously yeah so i hoped for a smaller group um going forward maybe six people max mm-hmm. and uh and, and, and try to establish something like that here is one of my goals. But yeah. we will see how things go.
0: Sweet. Yeah. Cool. And yeah so your nickname is super interesting. There's a there's a story, <laughs> a little bit of a backstory I heard already. Um Marin, how how yes. did that come about?
1: Uh it's more than a nickname actually now mm-hmm. I feel like it's my name. When people call me Murat, which mm-hmm. is my original name I guess, uh I, I feel awkward in a way. Oh, right. um, so okay. One of the reasons uh, why I always had nicknames mm-hmm. uh, throughout my life uh, is because a lot of people in Turkey uh, mm. is called Murat, especially from my age group. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what the reason for that, but maybe uh, some famous actors or uh, <laughs> Ottoman uh, emperors, there were four of them, four Murats, and they had all different personality traits. Oh, uh, I see. So you have a lot of reasons to choose one yeah. of those <laughs> uh, and yeah, and they end up calling your, you know, kid with the same name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, there were so many Murats in Turkey at my time. I even had a classroom m- mate who, uh, whose name was Murat Eran. Uh, so it, even the last name was matching. Yeah. So um, one option was to give some of the Murats nicknames. And I ended up having a lot of nicknames. And uh, some of them were very uh, um, upsetting to me. Uh, mm-hmm. For instance, people for a long time called me Armut. Uh, it's a word in Turkish that means uh, pear, that um the like fruit. The fruit. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know where it came from, but <laughs> I hated that. And I was yeah. like I don't want to be called, you know, this, but yeah. you had no I had no power over it. Whatever. Mm. So years go by, I start university in nineteen ninety eight and uh the systems administrator who has uh h- had a huge influence on my life anyway, Nazdet Yujad, mm-hmm. uh, he says we need an email address for you. What's your username going to be? And I'm like, I have no idea. Email, username, none of these make any sense. And he says, okay, you know what? We're gonna combine the first letter of your name. We'll call you Maran. Maran at you know university.edu. Yeah. And I said, okay. And then uh, that kind of stuck. When people (laughs) saw that username, they started calling me Maran. One thing led to another. Uh, After like 20 years now, I (laughs) basically go by Maran in a way. Yeah. Yeah
0: does your wife call you that too yes yeah (laughs) my
1: family does that Uh, yeah
0: okay (laughs) interesting okay and the so your your ecosystem data science group it says uh on your cv that it's established at the intersection between computer science and microbiology yes so this is very much what you are right yes yes
1: Yes. indeed um i am trained as a computer scientist Mm -hmm. uh but um i don't i don't have any formal training in Microbiology or microbial ecology, apart from uh, the postdoc I uh, did with uh, Mitsogin at the Marine Biological Laboratory and so on. Mm -hmm. But over the years, I learned a lot. Now I can, I can actually introduce myself to someone as a microbial ecologist, and they wouldn't be able to tell that I don't have a formal education. You know, that's (laughs) that's what it means to, I think, uh, uh, (laughs) advance in science in a way. You can (laughs) pretend to be someone until it's kind of true. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yeah.
0: Wow. Okay. And, and yes, so you're very, um, I think at the core, or at least it, it looks like it from the outside, at the core of you is uh, mentoring is very important to you.
1: Yes. Um, I don't know how to phrase it well, but uh, I realized over the years that, um, that it's, it's, it's an extremely important aspect of uh, what we do. I think uh, So I look at my career, mm-hmm. I look at my past, and none of the experiences I had early in life would have predicted the outcome. Mm -hmm. Uh, of me as a person yeah um that has been a very you know uh somewhat interesting and unexpected journey with a lot of ups and downs Mm -hmm. but i realized at some point looking back the only reason i uh did not continue doing some of the things that i've been doing at earlier times in my life younger ages and ended up uh turning into a relatively more decent person and uh with you know I have a job in everything now and I do something that I'm very interested in life and so on was because there were people at very critical points uh, in my journey that influenced me in ways that I couldn't have achieved by myself. Mm-hmm. And those people that I, you know, uh, call in a way mentor yeah. were, are, are the only reason uh, I am here today. Uh, that serendipitous uh, series of events that bring you somewhere and you meet someone who um extend their help and then you end up going one level up and and it goes on and on and on mm-hmm. so uh, i recognize that it's extremely important to realize when it is your turn to do that job mm-hmm. and that's a huge responsibility of course and that realization doesn't help it doesn't yeah. make anything any yeah. easier um but uh yeah so i slowly came to the realization that now i'm I'm someone, uh, people who are earlier, uh, early career scientists uh, come to me and I turn into uh, de facto a mentor in their lives. Mm-hmm. And so this brings additional responsibilities for me and for others as well. Yeah. Um, and so <coughs> one of the important things about mentorship is to recognize one, you start turning into one, and uh, uh, also to recognize that you need one and, and the kind of traits you, you should expect to find in uh, someone you are looking up to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so on, yeah.
0: Yeah, so that kind of sparked the idea for for um the piece of work that we're going to talk about today. It's a blog post by you um on the mentorship in life sciences and actually the voices of the mentees. Yes. Yeah.
1: Uh, yes, I, and thank you. I'm taking this off. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm on the hot seat now. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting higher. High and higher temperature here. okay yeah uh so th- first thanks a lot for bringing that work up uh yeah. that that is uh, a completely uh, uh unofficial piece of work that is not published in ever or period or anything but mm-hmm. i uh did that because I thought that um, so okay, let me step back and tell you why I even yeah. started doing that mm-hmm. in two thousand twenty one I think I was awarded by the American Society of microbiology mm-hmm. the environmental uh, microbiology award this This award is given every year to one scientist who has made contributions to environmental microbiology, Mm -hmm. and uh, I was proposed to uh, to this award by a few colleagues of mine. And but um, and this was a very um, important turning point of my career, I think, because this made me realize that the the medical field that I was involved in officially um, uh, was not necessarily the only option I had in life. Mm -hmm. I actually could. Really put much more effort into environmental microbiology because I thought this award is a recognition of you know my uh, uh, attempts to contribute to that field. Mm-hmm. So that changed uh, my life quite a bit. Uh, that's uh, in part I'm here today because of that award, um, yeah. uh, instead of a department of medicine somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I was asked to give a speech, mm-hmm. um, and then I started thinking about what am I going to talk about. It's uh, it's a 10 minutes talk, Um, you can't be really uh, talking about something extensively. And um, while I was trying to put the talk together, I realized that, okay, I'm going to talk about the lab uh, and then, you know, what led to this award, what work did we do? And, Mm -hmm. uh, and the more I thought about it, the more I realized that, well, uh, this actually uh, is not something, that i can claim to myself even mm-hmm. uh, i don't even deserve this award in a way by myself this is an award that recognizes the contributions of all the people who has been working with me who invested their time and intellect and you know trust uh into our work mm-hmm. and who am i to receive an award and go there and talk about you know so that kind of didn't make a lot of sense to me yeah and then i also realized that while there is nothing I can do about this because I am going to be the only person who is going to have the right to list this award on their CVs. Mm -hmm. So how do you even give anything back uh, in return uh, to those who have been working with you and so on? So it's it's a difficult uh, philosophical challenge. With that, I realized that this is actually a commonly occurring pattern. Mm-hmm. We see all these big names and you know fancy scientists, especially in the United States, the superstardom of oh, individual yeah. scientists, uh, which uh, I found very frustrating while I was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is always the result of many, many people who work very hard And sometimes fail, and they pay the price with their own uh, careers underneath these big names. And when they are successful, those who look uh, at the progress of science always recognize these big names. So it's like there's this economy, uh, very hierarchical economy. In that sense, I think recognition Mm. is a very hierarchical uh, thing. And uh, I knew a lot of uh, very um, sad stories, if you will Mm. where mentor-mentee relationships fail. And those who entrust their almost entire career in the hands of uh, these uh, scientists uh, sometimes pay a a heavy price uh, when things don't work. Mm. So the thing is, um, for a professor or for a big name, uh, a few projects failing is not necessarily the end of the lab uh, yeah. or their reputation or anything. Mm-hmm. Most people don't even hear that those projects failed, but those who have been trying to push those things forward pay a big price. So there's this disproportional part of the equation. Yeah. So I decided that I would take the 10 minutes I was given by my Mantees, in a way, uh, mm-hmm. through this award, to talk about mentor mentee relationships, like yeah. uh, to tell people to, de- to their faces, all the professors and whoever was going to be there, that things are not working in general. Mm-hmm. And unless we pour effort into it, trying to better ourselves, uh, they are not going to work out of the box. Yeah. And I thought the most convincing evidence for that would be to let mentees, early career researchers, talk about their experiences with their mentors, with the protection of anonymity. Mm -hmm. and so i put together this uh survey Mm -hmm. in just a few days there were a lot of many responses and then i wrote some programs to visualize and analyze these data yeah and uh that that's (coughs) the result of that work
0: yeah how did you advertise it was it just on twitter or just on twitter yeah how Uh, do you have such a such a high twitter reach you're quite famous on twitter i would say
1: i um I'm not sure if it's true, actually. <laughs> yeah, okay, right. <laughs> I do have a lot of followers, yeah. but uh, the vast majority of those followers are cr- coming from the days from my writing in Turkish. So uh, oh, okay. this is like those followers are coming from 12 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, and not many of them are scientists. There are more than 50,000 people follow me on Twitter, but I would bet 40,000 of them at least are... Turkish people who are like, what is this guy talking about? Uh, or they, maybe they don't use their, their accounts anymore. So yeah. They don't even remove me um, uh, from their list of um, people they follow. Yeah. And I think the reason uh, why so many people followed me was because I was kind of outspoken mm-hmm. uh, about certain topics. And I had a photography blog uh, mm-hmm. back in the day. Uh, I wish I could go back. But essentially, <laughs> I um, Twitter algorithms recognized me as someone to suggest a new people when they joined I think that's why that's my way of uh, explaining it right but, okay yeah but science community I had close ties with them as well over the years mm-hmm. um, when I switched to English completely as the language of yeah. communication yeah
0: so, so it's it's partly because of your blogging and because of your outspokenness okay yes yeah probably well, yeah nice <laughs> um okay and then so you, you took the survey and and the way you analyze it I'm, I'm looking at it now is incredible. Like, uh, let's let's start with your um, with, with even your definition of early career researchers. I, I find that strikes a nerve with me. It's it's exactly how I would define it. It's um, those who are advised and do not have typical job security. So it's not really tied to a year and how many years you yeah, are out yeah, of your PhD. Yeah. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, very true, I think. And I will put this in the into the show notes. Um, the the entire survey so because I can't go through it all now. But it's incredible visions you pull out of this, and incredible tips that you pull out of this as mm-hmm. well. So, uh, f- for instance, that the that the group size sweet spot is like five to ten people, mm-hmm. probably based on the survey results and and how you how you put the emotion of the students taking or of the of the early career researchers taking these surveys, how you put their emotion into that, and with a lot of them having. Uh, or or quite a disturbing number. I think it was like 8% have a very negative... um...
1: Yeah, yeah. That, for instance, that 8%, that that small percentage of people having very negative relationships with their uh, mentors had initially made me very happy, uh, realizing that, well, the vast majority of people seem to have not very negative experiences. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, I guess, human nature. We look at these numbers. Yeah. Even though, you know, especially life scientists and life sciences keep teaching us that the, the statistical significance of numbers don't necessarily mean their functional significance yeah. in in complex environmental conditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you still have this byproduct of I guess uh, our dealings with numbers that when I saw that the vast majority of people seem to be doing well, okay, uh, I felt very good. I have to admit, and I even noted I think in the blog post because uh, then I found it extremely embarrassing to think like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you wrote this very well yeah,
1: because you know when you read the experiences of those people who had very negative uh interactions with their uh, mentors yeah their lives are ruined basically and yeah. this is absolutely unacceptable it should be zero percent mm-hmm. which is a very of course high bar to pass but that's what we should be craving for i think yeah, yeah.
0: i mean for you what were the what were the biggest or oh, first of all how many how many people took the survey
1: i think s- something around 700 yeah uh, if i remember correctly.
0: Okay then for you what was the biggest uh, takeaway of of all of this
1: yeah biggest takeaway uh, it's it's very difficult to summarize these problems are extremely difficult to address fully i think mm-hmm. uh, but i was i'm always thinking so on the one hand i'm a perfectionist i will not recognize any solution that will not address something 100% mm-hmm. it's just you know one of my shortcomings but then uh, i over the years i learned that um, if something is uh, really improving things a lot, it doesn't have to be a perfect, a theoretically perfect solution. Mm-hmm. It's still, you know, uh, you can rely on it. And if people's careers are at stake, imperfect solutions that still improve things dramatically, I think, are very viable options for all of us to at least give a chance. Mm-hmm. And one of that I realized, my main takeaway is uh, most of the interactions that go haywire between mentees and mentors. Uh, are going that way because of uh, the, the uh, poorly aligned uh, expectations from both sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We all have the best intentions, uh, of course, uh, both mentors and mentees, uh, yep. and we all find ourselves in situations that we're not prepared for, often in science especially. Mm-hmm. Um, but addressing the problem of manageable expectations, I think, is one of the best ways to make sure that uh, we're minimizing the risk of running into a wall mm-hmm. uh, in the long run. Yeah. which uh, is a responsibility on the mentor, I think, initially. Mm-hmm. For instance, uh, I suggested in that post, and I try to convince people around me, and I will hopefully at some point also start it, Uh, campaign here at the Mm HFMB to convince anyone who has uh, mentorship duties to write a public statement about what kind of a mentor they are, Mm -hmm. as far as their opinion is concerned. It doesn't even have to be 100% accurate. Mm -hmm. One can write, uh, uh, I don't micromanage, this is how I work, this is the meetings uh, uh, every week I will have with you, or whatever, whatever your expectations uh, Mm -hmm. are. What's your paper writing strategy? What happens to corresponding authorships? What happens when someone doesn't want to appear in the lab meeting or present? Or what happens, you know, all these truly little things, but all of which give small ideas about the other person, about who you are and how you conduct your business as a mentor, I think uh, would help dramatically to those who consider joining a lab. Mm -hmm. So then there's an initial filter where uh, completely, you know, people who met so poorly would not even attempt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then, of course, there must be a stage where the mentee lets the mentor uh, what kind of a person they are, uh, how they work, what's the most beneficial way to support them, and so on. Mm-hmm. So I think this writing a public document about your mentorship practice and how you see yourself is very important. Yep. Extremely difficult, uh, but it helps you think about these things carefully. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you put something out that keeps you publicly accountable yeah. uh, for your actions. Then someone can say, look, you told me, and you say here, this is how you would conduct your business with me. But mm-hmm. it's been one month, we didn't have a single meeting, so what's going on? Yeah, <laughs> but, you know.
0: Yeah. I looked at yours on, on your website, and and do you keep um, updating, or in in the beginning stages of writing it, did, did you keep updating it? Yes,
1: yeah. exactly. So uh, that started, uh, when I started the University of Chicago, mm-hmm. I started the document. And there are even Git logs, this is in, on GitHub, so oh, you okay, can right. even see the history of this document. Yeah, nice. Uh, but we kept updating it based on you know new people join uh, and we discussed certain things and I realized necessary to clarify a certain point and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it hasn't been updated since I moved to Germany. Uh, I also put a note up there that this, yep. once the group uh, catches its breath and uh, knows what it is about, we mm-hmm. will here we will sit together and try to put something uh, together.
0: Nice. Yeah. Did you um, come up with, with like a lab culture document together in, in Chicago as well? I or? wrote the drafts, yeah. uh,
1: but I discussed it with everyone and I, nice. I made sure that uh, the, the versions uh, were accessible to them before. Yeah. Um, uh, it was more public uh, on our webpage. Mm-hmm. Um, the, of course, these things are difficult to uh, do once there's a group that is established. So uh, an ideal situation, I think, is where you... St- you start developing document early on in your career in such a way mm-hmm. that anyone who approaches you are somewhat uh, along the same lines of thinking with you, so they will not ask for significant changes in your practices. Yeah. For instance, I am so not a market manager, but I did work with people who demanded micromanagement okay. uh, for their own success, and I did my best. Um, yeah. But if I had the document ready by then, uh, probably they would have been like, yeah, this is not the right person for me to uh, oh,
0: Okay. Uh, right. Yeah this is incredible like um the amount of information you pull out of out of this survey um about the strengths and shortcomings of of mentors is uh, rang true with me um and I I found this very helpful that you need to create as a as a mentor you need to create um an environment where it's possible to approach you and to discuss feedback about your mentoring and Obviously, the two big ones or, or the one big one is the code of conduct document or a lab culture co- document had other um, ways of making it easy to, to raise concerns with you have other than yeah. that? Uh,
1: so first of all, I learned a lot uh, uh, through the survey mm-hmm. uh, uh, about my own practices and uh, my own shortcomings as a mentor. For instance, I never asked people uh, uh, whether I was uh, able to give them the kind of support they needed. Mm -hmm. I never uh, asked if there were any particular things that I needed to change uh, or try to change with my interactions with them. So I now believe that asking those questions are very important, at least once a year. Mm -hmm. Because it was very interesting that in the survey, even uh, throughout the entire period of mentor-mentee relationship, if the mentee were asked uh, at least once whether they were happy with the mentorship they were receiving, those interactions largely led to positive outcomes uh, Mm -hmm. uh, in in their entirety yeah so this means that not the frequency perhaps the most important but the thought the way we see ourselves and and those who work with us Mm -hmm. how do we position ourselves and them together in a group yeah that somehow uh, has to be present so yeah and i think one significant uh, challenge that all of us suffer in science um, regardless of career stage is that every next stage of science requires you to learn about things that you have never been prepared to mm-hmm. for instance from phd to postdoc postdoc to group leadership or mm-hmm. assistant professorship and from there to uh, professorship i mean these are significant changes in one's life we don't recognize it when we're at a given stage that going up is going to change everything and most mentors find themselves <clears throat> in these positions with zero preparation on how to deal with people who rely on you yeah. uh, and we all know about the, the uh, shortcomings of science historically in general, uh, the uh, inequality uh, when it comes to representation of diverse cultures and uh, backgrounds and so on. So all these things add into uh, mm-hmm. a mixture yeah. where you have uneven proportion of people in different stages of the uh, the, the, the hierarchy mm-hmm. uh, is not uh, uniform. Yeah. And therefore you end up, generally speaking, you end up with a mentor, crowd of mentors, who have no idea how to deal with certain cultures, certain issues, and so on. Yeah. And um, different countries have different priors that influence how people see themselves in the long run. In the U.S., you try to become uh, a superstar. Uh, in mm. Europe, you have other uh, priorities if you're a young uh, assistant re- professor-level scientist. So they all play into this. But I think the least we can do, those of us who find themselves in positions of power of any kind this could be a postdoc or a phd student advising a younger uh, mm. person an undergraduate researcher for instance Yep. we need to recognize that moment and think about what we're doing yep. and what is it that uh, we could be uh, uh, doing better uh, given that now there are people who are relying on us for their own futures
0: yeah and this code of conduct i think or the document think even thinking about the document um Will
1: start that trickle exactly. down effect. Yeah, yeah. The, it's independent of the outcome. I think attempt into that mm-hmm. is enough to for one to start their own journey, absolutely, intellectual journey into recognizing who they are or who d- they wish to, be. because that's what the document is. You write down what you wish to see, mm-hmm. and you didn't fill those shoes on the long run. Yeah. so it's basically we're creating a mold of uh whatever sounds plausible to us Mm -hmm. uh, and then we try to obey those wishes uh, that we put forward
0: exactly yeah i was um so so incredibly lucky through my career that i had i had really good mentors i think and um but i do i i've met so many so many people who have had the the opposite and uh Everything stands and falls in academia with, with good mentorship, I think, exactly. or good supervision. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And that's, there's something really to think about there very carefully. Mm-hmm. People like us who managed to make it this far should recognize that perhaps the only reason we made it this far is because we run into the right people, mm-hmm. not exactly. because we were better than those who failed. If we can admit that, if we can recognize that, mm-hmm. then you realize that, well, today I'm here because of all those people. Mm-hmm. And so what am I doing now? Uh, what is my uh, role now here to kind of, in a way, I don't like to use this word, but kind of deserve the spot mm-hmm. um, since nothing is deserved. You think about it if serendipity is involved.
0: Yeah. yeah, exactly. And uh, I think that goal of uh, turning those 8% that had a very negative experience into zero is yeah. the best aspiration we need. Perfect Thank thing. you
1: very much for uh, for 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 uh, discussing this with me. It's very helpful to hear that it resonates yeah. with other people as well.
0: Oh, definitely. So so, so much. It's um, definitely have a look at it, everyone, to to appreciate the full glory of of all of it. But let's talk about you a little bit for a minute as well. Scrolling up through the publications. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you started your academic career in Bachelor of Science in uh, Computer Engineering yes. in in Turkey, and I will butcher this name canakale oh, okay <laughs> i'm yeah. going okay yeah you started in 1998 and yes. then is, is this way from C- C- no
1: canakale is um no i it's not at all uh but uh, okay so what happened is i had no intention to even go to canakale in turkey you take a general exam mm-hmm. uh, like one million students take it and you get a point based on your score, then you can make selections of uh, departments or universities. Mm -hmm. Some people prioritize where they want to live. You put all these universities in Istanbul, Mm -hmm. different departments, or some people prioritize uh, what they want to study, and they put those departments from different universities and so on. I don't know if these things changed. It's been a long time since the last time I was in Turkey, but uh, essentially it was the thing that we did when I was younger. And I was an extremely bad student in high school. Okay. Uh, I didn't even go to the vast majority of high school uh, school days uh, mm-hmm. throughout my tenure uh, at high school. <laughs> and uh, instead I played music or whatever high yeah. schoolers do. So I was very underprepared to that examination and I did poorly as well. Mm-hmm. But right before I took that exam, I realized the existence of computers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. Someone introduced me to a computer game called Quake. It's a first-person shooter game, mm. and I just couldn't believe that I was looking at another person in a virtual environment yeah. who could shoot me with different guns, and I could chase that person and so on. <laughs> I was so impressed. Like imagine that, you know, you have never seen computers before, mm. if you can imagine that. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, the first time you experience computers is uh, through a first-person shooter game, and you are just losing your mind. How is this even (laughs) conceivable? How is this possible? And I asked him, I said, what is it that I should study in life Mm -hmm. in order to be able to do this all day, every day, without being judged by other people? (laughs) And he said, well, you can do computer engineering. And then I put all the computer engineering from all over the country, and I managed to get into this one. (laughs) Uh, Okay. (laughs) That's why I was at Çanakkuri, not because I'm from there. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Okay.
0: So is this um, because I noticed then straight from that you went into a PhD in computer science Yes um,
1: um, It looks straight from that but actually a lot happened in between I okay. um, th- there's a three- year gap uh, or four year gap uh, during which I worked for the Scientific Research Council of Turkey mm-hmm. not as a scientist but as, a, as, a, as an engineer to right. uh, develop an operating system uh, a Linux based operating system for initially for Turkish army but then extended to general uh, government use. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I spent some time there, and then I came to the U.S., uh, where I started my PhD. Oh,
0: okay. So, but there was no need for you to do a master's or something in.
1: No, uh, I had. I did get a master's degree, but it was. It is not required in the U.S. In right. general, in in the U.S., you don't get a master's. You start a PhD, and if you if PhD doesn't go well, sometimes you people ask you, how about uh, oh. we give you a master's and you leave early? Oh, <laughs> so, I see. Okay, right. Um. But it was not even intentional. I did not intend to do a PhD. Mm -hmm. I never felt like a scientist until, I think, 2010, actually, even long after I started my PhD. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, I went to the U.S. for personal reasons, um, and I wanted to be a photographer in Mm -hmm. the United States, and I failed at that very poorly. I failed at photography. I failed at music. I ended up a scientist because I failed in many other things (laughs) in, you know, in, uh, this is the truth. But um, so, yeah, I went to the US for irrelevant reasons. But then this professor found me mm-hmm. uh, and asked me to join his lab uh, mm-hmm. because uh, he knew my work from Turkey uh, and learned that this developer uh, moved to New Orleans. And basically, that's how everything started. Mm-hmm. Um, but until then, I had no idea about science and so on. So I was a very bad PhD student, too. How, how, how did he? Down to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How, how did he find you in uh, to begin yeah,
1: with? Yeah, New Orleans was a small. Uh I think he was uh this is my first PhD advisor, mm-hmm. which went horribly bad actually. He fired me 3 years after I started uh, a PhD with him. So, I think he needed a programmer yeah. uh, to solve a very serious uh, network programming challenge. Right. Uh, it included uh, classification of uh probabilistic signals o- over a network of computers uh, to feed back to a nanopore experiment environment so all molecular interactions and nanopores so he did a programmer it was not easy to find and mm-hmm. he knew that there was a new programmer in town and so that was his motivation I think right okay. um, and I didn't know any English back then uh, so I started in his lab and learned a lot of English okay. and um, and along with that I started to recognize some interesting things that you know science was an interesting thing overall. Yeah. But my ability to speak my mind in English Mm -hmm. uh, was not the best thing that happened to me in that lab. (laughs) And that's partially why uh, he ended up having to fire me. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So it was kind of an interesting, you know, again, ups and downs, you know. That could have been the end of my career. Yeah. And then I ran into another uh, mentor in the same institution Mm -hmm. who took me under his wings and he nurtured me to become a microbiologist. And Mm -hmm. in one year, I finished my PhD in his lab. And I didn't put a single page, single paper from the previous three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I could completely change my career trajectory thanks to that guy who didn't do anything but to try to help me. Uh, it wasn't a lot of effort on his part, but had a huge influence on my life. Yeah. So, you know, going back to partially the topic we we're talking about, mm-hmm. uh, I run into one very bad mentor and then one very good mentor. and you know.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And then you you list this as postdoctoral education in microbial ecology. Is that what then made you move to Massachusetts? Yes,
1: Hole yeah. uh, Marine Biological Laboratory. It's a very nice institution uh, for marine uh, life, to study marine life. Mm-hmm. And there I met uh, Mitch Sogan, um, a mm-hmm. very prominent scientist in uh, microbial ecology, molecular evolution. And... Um, That was the next luckiest thing that happened to me because Mitch was towards the end of his career. He was already very successful and he didn't need anything from Mm -hmm. anyone at that point. And for some reason, he wanted to work with me. And he was the next boost in my life that made me a good scientist. I learned how to write from him. I learned how to be rigorous from him Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and so on. And actually, he is the reason I'm here today because he literally suggested me to apply to this position. Oh wow! And I did yes.
0: Nice. <laughs> were you in? How long were you
1: in Woods Hall again? Uh four years.
0: Four. Okay, right. And uh, while you were there, he suggested the.
1: No, no, no. No. Uh, okay. After years, uh, yeah, uh, uh, we kept in touch when yeah. I was a professor at the University of Chicago. Yeah. He's like, oh, there's this going on there. You should think about it. Wow. Uh, with some information from Auntie, yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Okay. And from, so Woods Hole, uh, but you became a fellow there and, and it says you're still... I still a, am, yes. Yeah. Yes.
1: Nice. I'm an ambassador of marine biological laboratory everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> Perfect. And then, okay, so so your first uh, assistant professor, yeah, I'm, I think I'm a bit shaky on the different stages mm-hmm. in the U.S., so... Assistant professor, associate and full?
1: Yeah, yeah. assistant professor is similar to group leadership. Uh, Junior professor or group leader, uh, more commonly referred to Europe. Often, you get your your PhD, Mm -hmm. you can immediately start an assistant professorship. In some disciplines, it's more common. For instance, statistics, you don't do postdocs. Generally, you just start an assistant professorship. Okay. Uh, In life science or computer science, it's more common that you do a postdoc or two or three postdocs sometimes, depending on what you think you need. Mm -hmm. Because postdoc is the time. It's very different in Europe. In yeah. in, uh, in the United States, postdoc uh, positions are seen to be extremely temporary. Mm-hmm. So you stay in one place two to three years, mm-hmm. and then you go to the next one until you feel you are ready to apply for faculty positions to right. become an assistant professor. Okay, And then this usually takes four to six years uh, assistant professorships. Mm-hmm. And then if you're on tenure track, you apply for tenure, and then at the end of... Uh, if you're successful, then you become an associate professor,
2: mm-hmm. which takes
1: a few years, uh, sometimes forever. Yeah. Um, but then people become full professor, uh, full professors um, uh, in most cases mm-hmm. after a few years of that.
0: And you did that for for seven years, I think, or, or uh, six yes. and a half. Uh, yes, yeah.
1: six uh, six years at the University of Chicago as uh, an assistant professor. Yeah. When I um, realized that HAFMV was a serious option for me mm-hmm. uh, I asked the University of Chicago to stop uh, evaluating my tenure case because I certainly was not going to stay uh, anymore Yeah. So, but at that time I was being uh, evaluated for tenure at, at the end of that six years. Yeah.
0: And would you have stayed if the post in Germany wouldn't have come up or any similar ones? Sorry, say it again? Would you have stayed? Um, so, so oh, yeah. Since they were yeah, evaluating... well,
1: no I think it was obvious that we were not going to stay in the United States uh, uh, even before uh, when I was at my fourth, fifth year uh, at uh, at the University of Chicago. Mm -hmm. When uh, my partner Jessica moved uh, to Chicago, we realized that this wasn't uh, going to last very long for us. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we, uh, in principle, we decided to leave, but we didn't know uh, where we would would go. Okay. Um, So yeah, uh, the idea of leaving was always there, but the place was missing, and mm-hmm. HIFMB came up, and, and actually this is the only place I applied to. Mm-hmm. And I didn't cast the broad net and try uh, everything until something comes up. Yeah. It was a very targeted approach, and I'm very happy that everything went.
0: Yeah, that's good to hear. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so you spent um, how many years in total in the U.S.? Like.
1: Um, it feels like forever, but I yeah. think it was more like maybe fifteen years, okay. or twelve years, yeah. something. I'm very bad at when it comes to years. I'm very bad at them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it becomes most obvious when you ask me how old do you think this person is, and yeah. I say something like twenty-two to seventy. <laughs> so uh, I am not hundred percent sure, but I I think it's more than ten years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly.
0: I saw in your in your publications <laughs> in your publications list at the top you have. This Google Scholar page serves as an automatic updated list of publications. That's really handy. Yeah. Handy tip. Thank you. <laughs> in many ways, it's it's a really good CV that you can take as a mold, I think, um, to, to put yours after or, or to, to mold yours after. It's incredibly Thank helpful. <laughs> Thanks a lot. You're also involved in a lot of open, open source uh, projects, right? Yes. And were you involved in everyone's inve- uh, developments?
1: Or? Yes. So those that are listed there are projects that I... Uh, started uh, uh, with my colleagues or by myself, but I've been involved in many more open source projects than those that are listed there. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I was an open source software developer before I was anything. So during my uh, uh, undergrad 1998, 1999, Mm -hmm. I learned about the existence of uh, Linux operating Mm -hmm. system. Mm -hmm. And from there, I proceeded to erase all my data mistakenly while trying to install it and so on. As a punishment, I decided <laughs> to learn that system very well and so on. Okay. And uh, that dramatically helped my career, I think, as a computer person. Mm. Um, I learned programming. I learned computer architecture. I learned all the uh, details of software world in a way. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to give something back. I joined associations for Linux and so on in Turkey and, and tried to be an open source person. And uh, it's still continues every software product my group creates are open source Mm -hmm. licensed with general public license which makes it yours as much as it is ours yeah Uh, so (laughs) it's just uh, an amazing way to i think share uh, ideas and um, software products i think so yeah and it also reflects our stance towards our science it is also open fully open we create reproducible bioinformatics workflows and try to explain to people how we exactly did certain things beyond the papers we write. Mm-hmm. So those who are inspired by our work could do the same thing to different datasets by themselves um, nice. using similar footsteps.
0: Yeah, this is also visible through the survey we talked about in the beginning. All the data are available and you can you can take them, analyze them any way you want to. Yeah, This yeah. is great. Also, I noticed in the miscellaneous section of your CV that you have
1: a healthy obsession <laughs> with troubleshooting, debugging, and problem solving. I love that. <laughs> Well, that healthy obsession—I don't—I think it's a little too generous. Uh, yes, I—I I am quite obsessed with neat things. So, I, for instance, uh, I am not the best programmer I know. Mm-hmm. I know many, very, very good programmers. But when I write a piece of code or a, a paragraph or mm-hmm. a sentence, I crave uh, for perfection. You know the obsession I mentioned at the beginning, yeah. which is not necessarily healthy. Um, <laughs> and I think as I age, I get better. I I let a lot of imperfect things go yeah. from my desk. It's mm-hmm. um, a function of decreasing amount of time that I can invest in, but <laughs> whatever. Yeah, I, I do have an officer relationship with those, Yeah, so that's true.
0: <laughs> What's your um, programming language of choice? Python. Python, um, yeah.
1: Yeah, Python is extremely powerful. Mm. For beginners, easy to understand syntax, a very large standard library that you can start doing things with small amount of code mm. And also it's breadth, uh, you can do web programming to create web pages, uh, or you can do systems programming, extremely low level stuff uh, mm-hmm. to deal with operating systems or things, you can implement things that don't yet exist and be high performance and helpful to others and so on. Mm-hmm. So it's a very versatile programming language. It's a modern one. Yeah, But you can also use it like the way you would use uh, a programming language like Perl, uh, mm-hmm. solely for scripting and solving problems quickly and so on. So it's, it's extremely, useful I think
0: do you think it'll ever replace the the stardom of R or
1: (laughs) (laughs) stardom well well, at least in my bubble (laughs) I have to I have to uh, I guess say this out loud at some point in my life Uh, I (laughs) I do hate R (laughs) Uh, the syntax is horrible it's extremely counterintuitive I mean what a mess Uh, what a mess but uh, of course R is an amazing environment for statistical Mm analysis you know there are so many statistics created, so many packages. It's almost like we have to, we have to, you know, yeah. it's almost like Facebook. We have to go on Facebook to see <laughs> what our friends from high school are doing now and so yeah. on. So it's a, you know, yeah. kind of, you have to do that clearly. Then you have to deal with Facebook. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that. You have to use these amazing tools written by statisticians, but then you have to deal with R. So I use R quite a lot, uh, and I don't think Python and R are quite uh, comparable to one another. Okay. They will not replace one yeah. another, I think. Okay. In our group, we do most of our data cleaning and visualization in R, for instance. But mm-hmm. Python I- infrastructures yield useful, good outputs from complex data, so we can go into R with them. Ah, I see. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think that kind of a workflow helped us quite a bit, and I think it's a meaningful way to... You know, find a good balance between one to use Python, one to use R, and so on. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. And otherwise, on your computer, you use Linux, like I picked up. <sighs>
1: well, I shouldn't say this. I have so many friends from the, I don't know, um, <laughs> if they probably would disown me uh, if they heard that I'm using Mac now. Uh, oh. <laughs> Mac computers and Apple, uh, yeah. Mac operating systems on op- Apple computers. So, um, well, it is a Unix. Um, Feeling to it, and it's core largely on Unix-like, uh, so it helps me find my way around it and use it like a Linux system. Mm-hmm. But then years ago, it was very difficult to deal with peripherals with Linux. If you have a printer, mm. yeah, forget about it. I, you need to recompile the Linux kernel multiple times until you hit the <laughs> right driver, or you know you never use it anymore. So I think <laughs> I use Apple computers because of the convenience. Yeah, um, but yeah, I no longer use Linux actually.
0: Okay. All right, and to bring this to a close, we're almost at an hour. It also says in your CV that you're an average bass player. D- yes, d- 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 very dis- average, yes. Very average? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, 10 plus years sounds like it's it's some amount of experience.
1: Yeah, that was that was a lot of experience, actually. And I think one of the most impressive things about the 15 years of bass playing was how I managed to remain an average musician.
0: <laughs> right. Is that the same for, because uh, it also says fairly okay photographer, 10 plus. No, three. actually,
1: I was quite competent in photography. And I, yeah. yes, <laughs> I, <laughs> I no longer am able to do that due to time uh, yeah. constraints, but I really loved photography and I I, I did things that I liked, which nice. is very rare. Okay. Um,
0: so Sweet. And the last sentence is, comes with exceptional communication skills for a computer scientist, obviously. Yes, that yes. That I can <laughs> completely attest to now. You're a great <laughs> communicator. Thank you so uh, much for coming along. You. Thanks so much. Thanks yeah. for having me. <laughs> Do you have anything that we haven't mentioned that you want to highlight in the end? Not really, Um,
1: but I I, I really enjoyed this. And I would suggest anyone who gets an invitation from Jan uh, (laughs) to attend to the podcast, I would strongly encourage them to (laughs) say yes. Perfect. Thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Cheers. Want to dive deeper? Surf over to hifmb.de or follow
0: us on Twitter at hifmb underscore ol.